गुड मॉर्निंग और आफ्टरनून और इवनिंग इट डजेंट मैटर टाइम इज इरेलीवेंट वेलकम टू द सेकेंड एपिसोड ऑफ यू कैन चेक आउट एनी टाइम यू लाइक बट यू कैन नेवर लीव आई थॉट इट वॉज फिटिंग टू बिगिन द सीरीज लास्ट एपिसोड डजेंट काउंट सिंस इट वॉज रियली एन इंट्रो विद द बिगिनिंग ऑफ द महाभारत सो दिस फर्स्ट एपिसोड वी बेस्ड ऑन अ डिस्कशन सराउंडिंग द प्रोलॉग ऑफ द महाभारत इट हैज बर्निंग स्नेक्स एंड एंग्री प्लेस एवरीथिंग यू नीड टू हैव अ गुड टाइम दीज डेज Also there's no real explanation for how one of the characters is half snake half man perhaps Vishnu and Anand have some explaining to do please don't imprison me for blasphemy on that cheery note here's the story Jaya in illustrated retelling of the Mahabharat by Devadatt Patnaik The king of Hastinapuri Parikshit scion of the Kuru clan had locked himself in a tall tower that rose in the center of his great kingdom He had isolated himself from his wives and his children and his subjects He was terrified He paced night and day unable to eat or sleep Bards were sent to tell him tales that would soothe his soul but nothing could allay his fear There were whispers on the street our king's grandfather was the great Arjun who defeated the Kauravs in Kurukshetra his father was Abhimanyu who single-handedly broke the Chakravyuha most complex of battle formations with such an illustrious line lineage he should be afraid of nothing yet he cowers in his tower why i am cursed to die in 7 days of snake bite the king finally revealed keep them away let not one slithering naga come close to me i don't want to die guards kept watch on every door and every window of the tower ready to strike down any serpent who even dared turn in the direction of the king everything that entered the tower was searched nagas could hide anywhere six nights later on the seventh day a famished parikshit bit into a fruit Hidden within was a worm that instantly transformed into a fearsome serpent. It was the Naga Takshak. Takshak sprang forward and sank his deadly fangs into Parikshit's flesh. The venom spread rapidly. Parikshit cried out in agony, but before any of the guards could come to his aid, he was dead and the Naga had slithered away. Parikshit's son Janmajaya was furious. "I will avenge the killing of my innocent father," he said. He ordered all the brahmins of his kingdom to perform the sarpa satra a sacrificial ritual with the power to destroy all the snakes on earth Soon a fire blazed in the center of Hastinapuri and a plume of black smoke rose to the sky Around the altar sat hundreds of priests pouring spoonfuls of ghee to stoke the flames They chanted strange magical hymns and invoked invisible forces that dragged the nagas out of their subterranean homes into the pit of fire. Hastinapuri saw swarms of wriggling serpents in the skies being drawn towards the sacrificial hall. The air was filled with the heart-wrenching cries of snakes being roasted alive. Some people were filled with pity and cried, "This is a mindless massacre." Others screamed in righteous indignation, "Serves them right for killing our king." Then, from the horizon, a youth shouted, "Stop, king! This is adharma. How dare you accuse me of adharma?" roared Janmajaya. "Who are you?" "I am Astika, nephew of Vasuki, king of the Nagas. 
No wonder you want to save the Nagas. You are one of them," said the king, his tone accusative. "My father was the Rishi Jaratguru, a manav like you. My mother was a Naga. I am you and your enemy, human and serpent. I take no sides. Listen to what I have to say, otherwise you will deny peace to all your descendants." "Speak," said the king. Seven days before he died," said Astika. Your father was out on a hunt when he experienced great thirst. He saw a sage sitting under a banyan tree and asked him for some water. But the sage was deep in meditation and did not respond to the royal request. Annoyed, Parikshit picked up a dead snake and placed it round the rishi's neck. The rishi's student, who saw this from afar, could not bear his teacher being insulted so. He cursed Parikshit that he would die within 7 days of snake bite. Thus you see Janmajaya your father brought his death upon himself and Takshak why did he bite my father Astika responded with another tale long ago Arjun your great grandfather set a flame of forest called Khandava Prastha to clear land for the city of Indraprastha that forest was the home of many nagas its burning left Takshak and many like him homeless and orphaned Takshak swore to make Arjun or one of his descendants pay. The killing of your father was his revenge. Now the Nagas burn once more in your sacrificial hall. More orphans will be created. More vengeance will be wreaked. You do what your ancestors did, and you too, like them, will suffer as they suffered. Blood will flow and widows will weep as they once did in Kurukshetra. Is that what you want, Janmajaya? Astika's question boomed across the sacrificial hall. The chanting stopped. The fire stilled. Silence descended as curious eyes fell on the king. Janmajaya pulled back his shoulders and replied with conviction, "I do this for justice." Astika retorted passionately, "Taksha killed your father for justice. You kill the Nagas for justice. The orphans you create by this yagya will also crave for justice. Who decides what justice is?" How does one end this unending spiral of revenge where everyone believes they are right and their opponents are wrong? Janmajaya was silent. He pondered over, over what Astika had said. Then he asked with a little hesitation, "Did the Pandavas not fight the Kauravas for justice?" Astika replied, "No, my king. That war was about dharma, and dharma is not about justice. It is about empathy and wisdom." Dharma is not is not about defeating others it's about conquering ourselves everybody wins in dharma when the war at kurukshetra kurukshetra concluded even the kauravas went to paradise what yes the kauravas reviled as villains by you and your forefathers went to swarg the abode of pleasure where the gods reside and the pandavas asked the king disturbed by this revelation They went to Narak, the realm of pain. I never knew this. There is so much you don't know, my king. You may have inherited the kingdom of the Pandavas, but not their wisdom. You do not even know the true meaning of dharma that was revealed to Arjun by God himself. God? Yes, God, Krishna. Tell me more. Send for Vaisampayan, said Astika. Ask him to narrate the tale that was composed by his father Vyas and written down by Ganesh. It is the tale of your forefathers and all those kings who came before them. Messengers were sent to fetch Vaisampayan, guardian of Vyas's great tale. 
When Vaisampayan finally arrived, he saw in the sacrificial hall thousands of serpents suspended above a sacrificial fire. Hundreds of priests were on the altar impatient to complete their ritual, and a king curious about his ancestry. The storyteller sage was made to sit on a deer skin. A garland of flowers was placed around his neck. A pot of water and a basket of fruits were placed before him. Pleased with this hospitality, Vasampayan began his tale of the Pandavas and the Kauravas and of all the kings who ruled the land known as Bharat. This was the Jaya, later to be known as the Mahabharat. Listen to the tale carefully, Janmajaya, Astika whispered in the king's ear. Do not be distracted by the plots. Within the maze of stories flows the river of wisdom. That is your true inheritance. And on the scriptic note, let's think about Janmajaya's inheritance. Janmajaya is naturally upset and bereft upon the death of his father. I mean, who wouldn't, right? As a result, he attempts to find the singular source to blame his problems on. In his case, it's all the snakes of the kingdom. His logical conclusion is, if snakes didn't exist, his father would still be alive today. Classic. When Astika interrupts the yagya and explains how his quest for revenge is just the result of an earlier quest for revenge and will probably just lead to further quests, Janmajaya is nonplussed. He says that he is doing this for justice and then refers to the Pandavas as an example of why his actions are correct. Astika tells him the Pandavas were not as in the right as Janmajaya previously believed. He then fetches Vaisampayan to narrate the tale of the Mahabharat, perhaps the greatest source of multiplicities there is. Multiplicities and revenge do not seem like two themes that go hand in hand. That's because they aren't. In this case and in many others, they are in fact polar opposites. By attempting to find a singular source for his problems, Janmajaya is attempting what many of us are still attempting today, to escape actual confrontation. In his case, it's with the deeds of his father. It's with the idea of acknowledging that his father was multifaceted and had identities beyond that of a benevolent leader, ruler and father. Interestingly, Astika, the one who points out the adharmic nature of what Janmajaya is attempting, is one who embodies multiplicities. He is half Manav, half Naga. He inhabits the space between the human and snake world and is able to use this nuanced position to explain the possibility of multiplicities and more than one singular source of problems to others. Arguably, it is only this position that allows him the benefit of the doubt and the ability to see the nuance in situations. With him being the interjector and the one to fetch Vaisampayan, perhaps Vyas is stating that someone who considers themselves singular or whole could never be the provider of nuance and that the perception of a singular identity will always lead one to attempt to indulge in revenge in the idea that there is an enemy other who must be blamed for problems astika is multiple and so cannot have any singular enemy either the whole world is his enemy or no one is his enemy there is no possibility of a simple singular answer just like with janmajaya with the covid-19 crisis today There is a sense of people attempting to find a singular source of these problems. The Chinese get blamed for eating bats, for creating the virus, for not sharing their knowledge and resources earlier. Closer to home, common people, 
and perhaps more terrifyingly the government blamed the molanas of nizamuddin for going ahead with the gathering at the beginning of march before the lockdown was imposed as of april 5th the government blamed this specific gathering or the tablighi jamaat for the doubling of coronavirus cases in india naturally people rushed to blame religion but instead of questioning the idea of organized religion and perhaps asking why the government had not imposed a curb on all religious gatherings earlier they instead blamed muslims in a somewhat expected turn of affairs scared hindu citizens turned towards a known enemy the muslim other and are able to project their multiple anxieties and apprehensions onto the singular source quest for the singular then becomes a form of escapism a way to deny even the possibility of the multiple multiple sources of problems multiple ways of dealing with them and most terrifyingly multiple enemies after all at least a singular enemy can be dealt with neatly sequestered quarantined and tackled while multiple enemies create the possibility of more of enemies with faces this makes it far easier to find the one source of all problems This is how revenge as a form of escapism is able to take shape and play itself out as a plot in most stories as well as in real life. Revenge as a trope is constantly played out in fictions. Revenge is never shown as a noble quest. It's never the purely good who set out on a quest for revenge. It's usually the good gone bad, the ones who are rightfully indignant and the ones who are never able to look beyond their own personal grievances. Epic battles are never ones that are fought on the basis of revenge. By the end of the story, the ones seeking revenge are usually revealed as misguided, or more hauntingly, the quest for revenge consumes them till they are not able to distinguish between what is right or wrong. This ultimately leads to their own demise or downfall. A striking example of this is in Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, where Zira, the grieving widow of the Lion King's primary antagonist, Scar, raises her son Kovu to seek revenge on Simba's family. Kovu and Simba's daughter Kiara fall in love, and he is able to see beyond the narrow idea of revenge. Unfortunately, Zira isn't able to overcome her own fears in the same way and dies during the course of the movie while attempting to fo- follow through on her revenge plot. Interestingly, The Lion King is based on Hamlet, and its sequel seems to have mildly Romeo and Juliet-esque tones. Perhaps Shakespeare too had some thoughts on escapism. I chose this example because it focuses on revenge as escapism in the most obvious way. Zira's family is trapped beyond the pride lands in the ghettos of the savanna, and Zira's only way of escaping her circumstances is by following through on her plot, and most importantly, by blaming Simba as the sole reason for her straitened circumstances. Just as in the Mahabharata with Astika's interruption, Kiara and Kovu attempt to inter- interrupt her plan. Like Astika, they represent the in-between of both spaces. They point out that they might be different, but at heart they are all lions. They are the same. Astika attempts a similar interruption by pointing out how both the snake Takshak and the man Janmajaya were operating on similar principles. how they both believed they were in the right and how they were both blaming the other for their respective situations Astika and the young lion cubs are both advocating not just for an end to revenge but for the idea of allowing the possibility of multiplicity 
they are asking not just for alternate narratives to be considered but for multiple narratives to be seen as the only possible way of narrativizing a tale i know it seems counterintuitive but bear with me both stories offer an insight into the idea of revenge specifically in the way that it is a quest for singularity as escapism the mahabharata doesn't explicitly deal with the question of religion it instead focuses on rituals and principles of governing life even though it does concern the hindu pantheon of gods but what it does do is show us the fundamentals of many of the religious battles that are being fought today on the basis of as astika points out unnecessary and petty feuds hindus and muslims much like the humans and the snakes are always out to seek revenge on the other for past misdeeds and often villainize whole communities on the basis of the actions of a singular character things like the partition and any and all misdeeds that happened during it keep returning to haunt us here revenge is not only escapism from multiplicities but also escapism from the certain knowledge that they are ultimately the same much like in the case of the lion king 2 what is even more fascinating is the way hindus often resort to the mahabharat as a basis for many of their views and practices especially when it comes to vilifying the muslim other while forgetting that the mahabharat itself seems to advocate for an alternate way of viewing the other any other whom one encounters an alternate reading one that allows multiple possibilities is then required adaptations and reinterpretations such as this one can perhaps help in this attempt to demystify the singular other that's all for now thank you so much for joining me as i attempted to unpack some weirdly complicated themes uh for now i have to go back to staring at a patch of sunlight on the wall wondering if it will move but please join me next episode where i attempt to eat an entire orange without peeling it or something slightly smarter